you're stronger than you think you are. And I think like so many women are just scared to get strong, whether that's coming from a place of somebody told them they weren't supposed to take up space or they think they're gonna, you know, quote unquote, get bulky if they like try to get stronger. But strength is important. You are stronger than you think you are. And it's okay to get stronger than that. <laughs> so that is something that like I take with me every day. And I think a lot of women need to hear that. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyberg, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Adina Rubin, welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. You are a nutritional therapy consultant and a medical exercise specialist, and you help busy women get strong and have more energy with smart workouts and real food. You have a program called Strong for Life Method, which I love. I feel like we're living parallel lives, doing what we're doing, trying to help <laughs> women out there. So welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. So what is, when you're working with women, what is the goal? Okay. The goal is to get them feeling their very best, to get them to be strong enough to live their lives pain-free, with ease, with stable energy throughout the day, just to get them to kind of up-level their health and really feel like their day-to-days are a wonderful experience of just, you know, enjoying living in the body that they have. Yeah. And I think that's everyone's goal, right? Like a lot of us are like, well, life's short. We want to feel our best. We want to feel optimized. But I feel like there's a lot of, you know, especially when you scroll through the gram or Facebook, there's there's so much misinformation out there. Like I, w- I was just looking at someone um, talking about doing a 30-day water fast to lose weight. And I'm like, oh my God, please be under medical supervision for that. So when you're talking about feeling your best with the ladies that you work with, what do you focus on? Well, so it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually got my start as a trainer in Chelsea, Manhattan. I was working in like a boutique fitness studio. And though we say that, you know, everyone's goal is we want to feel our best. The goals that were mentioned to me when I was working in that space were nowhere near that. You know, I'm sure, you know, in the back of people's minds, maybe that's what they ultimately, hopefully deep down somewhere are looking for, but the focus on just like intensity and body image and, you know, feeling exhausted after workouts. And if if I wasn't sore, it wasn't a good workout, you know, that sort of approach. I feel like having lived in that world really shaped a lot of what I do now because I saw so much burnout, so many hormone imbalances, you know, metabolic issues. And especially with the women that I worked with. I was working with men at the time too, but the women just could not handle that pace and that, you know, what we are focusing on so often in the fitness industry as a whole. And I thought of myself too, I struggled with these things when I was younger, when I was doing hit workouts, quote unquote hit, because these were like 45, 50 minute classes, labeled hit classes, but just not appropriate for females, not appropriate for our hormones, our metabolisms. And so I have, you know, through that journey and then becoming a nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm also, I 
got my master's in art therapy. So I had a lot of training too on the mental health side of things. And just kind of piecing all those puzzle pieces together got me to this place where now my focus with women is how can we do less? How can we do you know the minimum effective dose in exercise, in quote unquote dieting? Like How can we make this the least restrictive that it needs to be to still get us to our goals? How can we make exercise the least intense, exhausting, you know, lay you out on the floor thing (laughs) while still applying enough stress to get us the adaptations that we're looking for, to still be able to gain that strength without tanking our hormones, without, you know, spiraling us into these autoimmune flares, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So when you talk about, and obviously it's dependent on where someone, what kind of what their baseline of strength and movement and you know, cardio fitness is, but what would be the minimum effective dose? Yeah. So again, like that, that is pretty individual, but what I tend to see with most of my clients is that starting them out on three days a week of a strength training protocol tends to be the most effective and kind of, you know, obviously this depends case to case. Cause sometimes I work with women who are so deconditioned that like some sort of 10 second ab brace is extremely, extremely challenging and fatiguing for them. But generally starting with our four major movement patterns, you know, pressing, pulling of the upper body and squatting, hinging of the lower body three days a week, just looking like that in kind of rep ranges of say five to 10 is kind of the max reps that I will do with someone. Um, But again, it really depends on that baseline of strength there. Yeah. And you'd mentioned strength training for hormone balance. Can you mm-hmm. speak to that some more? Yeah, totally. I think that I know you're kind of in this world too. And so something that I often see with functional medicine practitioners with sort of the more holistic world of nutrition and medicine is that the recommendation for women who are struggling with hormone imbalances, autoimmune issues is always oh, you're, you're fatigued, just stick to walking and yoga. Like so many people come to me telling me that that is what their functional medicine doctor recommended or, you know, and to me, it's kind of like, we're really missing an opportunity there. I feel like for so many women, that isn't enough. That isn't enough to really contribute to what we're trying to do metabolically. And for their hormones. So I think something that I often see, and it's extremely, extremely common now is issues with cortisol kind of being the root of a lot of female hormone issues. So if you are struggling with your sex hormones, often issues with cortisol are kind of at the root of that because we are so overburdened with stress. Cortisol can stem from some blood sugar issues, which a lot of us experience because of the processed foods diet that we're eating or even if we are eating quote unquote clean, like we're looking to eat real food, sometimes we have these underlying issues with our blood sugar that kind of developed throughout our lifetime from distress, chronic use of things like antibiotics, birth control pill, all these things can really contribute to the way that we handle our blood sugar. And so that poses a big issue with cortisol. So what I see a lot of the time is that women kind of have these cortisol issues already. And so cortisol is our stress hormone. And so that's coming from stress, but it's coming from other things in the body as well. But when we overload them with intensity, with these high intensity classes, that poses a problem 
for the underlying cortisol issue. But if we underload them and we're sticking to things like walking and yoga that lower cortisol, these activities lower your cortisol, they can be really restorative. But sometimes if your cortisol has gotten to a place where your body is no longer responding to it from that overburden, these activities simply don't stimulate enough cortisol production. They don't let the body recognize cortisol as a hormone. And so it can kind of keep driving these things further and further and contributing to that overwhelming feeling of just like fatigue and dragginess and grogginess that so many women with hormone issues are are just struggling with. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, what is the Goldilocks dose? Like (laughs) what's the, what's enough stimulus? And when you talk about stimulus, are you talking about stimulating the muscle tissue or something else? Yeah. So definitely, you know, looking at adding load to contribute and, and ask for these forces to do what they need to do in our bodies. And sometimes that scares women off. Like if women are so used to dance cardio classes or yoga or walking, and they see me squatting a 200 pound barbell on my Instagram stories, it's like, I'm not going to work with you because I don't want to do that. Um, but I think what we're, we're not understanding a lot of times when we, re- when we respond like that is that that is my starting point. And I always say like strength is relative, but it's not optional. And so if you can't do a bodyweight squat and we get you doing a bodyweight squat and by bodyweight, I mean like literally squatting you alone, your body, not, you know, putting your body weight on the bar. But if you can't squat your body weight and we get you doing that, that is adding load. And that is an effective dose that is going to get you stronger. You're asking your tissues to do more. You're asking your metabolism to show up and do more. So that becomes a really important piece. Yeah. So what do you find in terms of functional testing, diagnostic testing with the nutritional component and with strength training? Like how do you, you know, when people are going through your program, which sounds like strength training and just eating (laughs) properly, what do you find with women's hormone balance? Yeah. So this is fascinating. And this is a piece I I added functional diagnostic testing to my practice pretty recently. And my approach has always been, let's look at our total stress load because this becomes really, really important. You know, we, if we think about our bodies as a bucket with a capacity for stress, if we fill that bucket up with processed foods, you know, antibiotics, hormonal birth control, stress from our lives, from our kids, from our jobs, from traffic, from say a pandemic, you know, once that bucket becomes full, it starts to overflow. And that's when we become pathological. That's what we end up exhibiting symptoms. So if we can start to take things out of the bucket and give ourselves more room to tolerate stress, we start to see progress. We start to be able to add in some more of those intense workouts and not feel like we're laid out on the floor and actually see the results and the progress that we're looking for. And so my approach with the women that I work with is to see what are the measures we can take to try to empty the bucket from the things that we can control. You know, whether that's we're adding in meditation or mindfulness practice to somebody who is really just so high strung and stressed out by their environment, or whether that's removing some toxic products from their home or their skincare routine, or whether that's getting rid of a gut pathogen. You know, maybe there's an underlying parasite that just kind of been burrowing away in there for so long. And that's driving a lot of the stress and that's driving a lot of the inflammation and that kind of overload that leads us to these symptoms. So now in my practice, I have kind of 
all of these tools to really look at how that bucket is getting filled up. We take a look, you know, diet and lifestyle. We take a look at, I use the GI map stool test because I happen to really like that one. And it's, it's a really accurate picture of what's actually going on in the microbiome. And so we take a look at that test. We can see, you know, are there parasites present? Are there other gut infections present? Is there an imbalance of bacteria here? Is there a yeast overgrowth? And then we can start digging away at those things, you know, using targeted supplementation, removing food sensitivities. Um, you know, I, I also run the MRT food sensitivity test. And so we can see if it's, are you eating something every single day that's contributing to this stress load on the body? And then we can start to titrate up those strength training workouts once we're removing those other stressors. We can, you know, because ultimately, as much as we love it, exercise is a stress. And so we do need to be really mindful. Like you said, that Goldilocks amount, I kind of like to think of it as salt. Like if you don't put enough on, it doesn't taste like anything. And if you put too much on it, you can't even eat it. It's so impossible. So kind of finding that amount that's going to like bring out all the flavors and make this thing sing. Yeah. Do you find that it's like a really fine balance between pushing someone's capacity, right? Because muscle hypertrophy and strength happens when we hit fatigue, which is like those last couple reps feel like, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, like a seven or eight in terms of exertion. And I think it's important to hit that point, but without burning out, without pushing ourselves into a flare up or pushing ourselves into like extreme fatigue. And I think it's a really fine balance to find that point with each woman. Do you find that? Yeah, totally. And I think rest periods become extremely key with that. I think these women who come to me from having taken these 55 minute quote unquote hit classes or are addicted to their Pelotons and never rest in between their sets, you know, once we get them accepting the fact that sometimes the rest period is three, four, five minutes, then being able to push that intensity during the work sets and getting to them to a place where they're pushing a load that really hits that RPA, that, you know, max intensity, that's going to give us the results we want, but then getting them to rest those full three, four minutes in between sets, um, I think kind of contributes to that tolerating that capacity. Yeah. And then I think for people who don't know what a rest break looks like during that time. Do you have women do something during that rest break to, because for someone who's never taken like a proper <laughs> couple minute rest break, they're like, do, 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 yeah. you know? do you have them do anything in particular to kind of truly dial down the nervous system? Maybe it's like putting them back into a little bit of a parasympathetic state or I don't know. Do you have them any, do anything in particular during those rest periods? It really depends on the client. It depends how uncomfortable they are getting used to that idea of sitting still. You know, sometimes I will tell them that we're focusing on breathing or this mobility drill. Like I'll send them a separate video to follow along. I use like a, I do all my training virtually and I use True Coach. I don't know if you're familiar yep. with that, but yeah, great app, um, yeah. yeah, it's great. So it's just, you know, delivers the workouts, all the videos are in there. And so sometimes I'll I'll put in a like breathing drill to do during the rest period if it's someone who's like super, super high strung. But I think sometimes like letting them kind of sit in that and figure that out on their own helps us get to a really good place too. Like realizing, I guess this might be coming from my therapy background too, but letting them feel what it feels like to be so uncomfortable with sitting still during those rest periods can sometimes move us along really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. 
I find sometimes I'll do like fast and loose drills, right? So like after building tension, it's nice to get someone to like shake it out or getting them to breathe with their exhale twice as long as the inhale, just to like mm, yeah. either help them catch their breath or, you know, just dial down the nervous system or I have them hum. Oh, cool. To again, like get like a vibration on their palate and it helps them extend that exhale so sometimes I'll have women hum and of course they're like, why am I doing this? But then yeah. they do it and they're like, oh my God, after like a couple rounds, I feel like not, not so out of breath. When do you have a woman, you know, let's say someone is a little more deconditioned and you're trying to like bring them up to having a higher resiliency or capacity. Like when do you find high intensity interval training appropriate? Is there a certain time? Yeah. After a long time, and sometimes that's really hard for my clients to hear, but like I, you know, I always say you need to squat before you can jump. First of all, if we're talking plyometric in any way, like I think that is one of the major issues in the fitness industry I see right now is like all these at-home workouts are just tons of jumping around and, and burpees and all these things where like some people's joints don't have the capacity for that yet. Like we got to get you strong. So I kind of really take my time in that way from the perspective of our joints being able to tolerate that, but also the hormone, the hormone issues that I'm dealing with. I think that something that happens a lot is these women are so eager to get back to that, you know, fat loss goal that a lot of women come to me with. And I always tell my clients like fat loss cannot be our goal that we're working towards we're working towards health. We're working towards you being able to get out of bed in the morning. And we're working towards you not needing seven cups of coffee at 3 p.m. And then fat loss can be a happy side effect for a lot of these women when we get the body back in balance. So getting that baseline of strength and getting the body back in balance are two like prerequisites for me before I start programming any high-intensity training. Well, there is one caveat with that. I think sometimes if we're in a situation where there is kind of a baseline of strength, but we don't have access to external load, like if the person does not have any weights or anything and they're stuck at home and they struggle with something like a hormone imbalance where we think cortisol being too low is a factor, right? Like your body not responding to cortisol as really contributing to that fatigue, Sometimes I will program like true hit training where there is like an intense burst and then a full, you know, minute, two minutes of rest and then another intense burst where we can kind of add that intensity and get the metabolic benefit using hit training to mimic mimic strength training. But outside of that case, I really like to follow just like a true strength training protocol so adding load, progressive overload, linear progression pretty much on our four major movement patterns. And then once we see that we have established this baseline of strength, once we see that all the symptoms start to subside, they're starting to feel energized, they're not having all this digestive upset anymore, you know, they're they don't have aches and pains anymore that were just kind of this chronic inflammation in the body. They no longer have these headaches that they were getting all the time. Once we start to see that those things are subsiding and our body is telling us, oh, I trust you, you know, once we can eat up 2,000 calories a day and our metabolism is meeting us there, you know, a lot of women I, I start working with are eating like one real meal a day or 
I'll look at their food journals and be like, are you starving? Like, so once we get the body doing what it needs to be doing for us, our metabolism is meeting there, our symptoms are subsiding, and we start to feel this feeling of like, your body really trusts you right now. Your body is ready for this. Then we can start adding in one high-intensity training day a week in addition to those three, three strength days. Um, that's seemed to work really well for my ladies. Yeah. How often do you do, so a push, a pull, a hinge, a squat, how often do you start to integrate any sort of like asymmetrical stance, like a split stance or a lunge or something like that? I work those in as like, you know, so one day will be a squat day. That would be our lower body push, but one day would be a lunge. And then we'll throw in a lateral lunge too, because we want to see that movement in other planes as well. So, you know, and there is some core stability in there and things like that, but generally it's that basic framework that we're following. Yeah. And then how long are the workouts? Like what have you found kind of like a Goldilocks time interval? (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of the women that I work with are moms. I do work with non-moms as well, but so I really like to make this, you know, part of the philosophy of the strong for life method is that this is sustainable right now and when you're 70. So trying to find the length of time that is going to get us the benefits we want, but also like fit really well into a busy schedule and not be something that these women dread doing. Like it, it just fits nicely into their week. So it really depends on the client too, because sometimes they get slowed down a little bit with, you know, filming and there's distractions, but I found that generally about like 25, 30 minutes is like the magic number of we can get the benefits we want and still feel like this fits. Yeah. Like if you're going to choose one exercise as like the most important, what would it be? Okay. So I have a lot of feelings on this. I love barbell back squats, but they're not going to work for everyone especially now that so many of my clients don't have access to gyms, but I do love getting someone with like a heavy barbell back squat because it really is a full body exercise. It's a pattern that we use every single day. Like if for myself, if there was, if I was only able to do one exercise for the rest of my life, I would probably choose that, but it would be a really close tie between that and like a kettlebell swing too, you know, because we do want that power output and that hinge pattern is extremely important too. It, it's definitely, it's going to be a a push, like a lower body push or a hinge for sure. Yeah. And then is there a certain component of both those exercises that you think are really important, like would make or break executing either the kettlebell swing or the barbell back squat really well? You're saying like as prereqs for the client? Yeah. 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 So something I talk about a lot in my program is like, and especially with moms that I work with is just like really understanding how your pelvis moves, the alignment of your body, how your breath works and how your feet work. And those things really being prereqs for being able to move load because oftentimes we forget that our entire body is connected and we really need to have a better handle on just, I think something that happens too is like, women get really disconnected from their bodies, especially after having babies. And so getting them back into that space where they like understand what their pelvis is, how it moves, how that contributes to their ability to tolerate load, to their ability to brace their abs. Like I think so many women 
have no idea how to even do that. And so, you know, I, I see a lot of times these women who are chronic drawers in of their belly button and think that that's bracing their abs. So really teaching someone like how to fill their body with a breath and how to brace those things become really important. Well, how do you cue that? Like for the woman who's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, what are, are there any certain like go-to cues that really get someone to find it in their body? Yeah. So I always start someone just like holding their hands on their pelvis and figuring out how to isolate that movement, rock it back and forth. I actually just did an Instagram post about that. So, you know, picturing your pelvis as a bucket of water and figuring out how can we spill water out of the front and how can we spill water out of the back and trying to find somewhere in the middle. Um, Because oftentimes, especially women, those who have been pregnant and those who haven't like are so often in that, what we call an anterior pelvic tilt where they're constantly spilling water out of the front of the bucket. And so that really shuts down your abs. It shuts down your ability to brace the core because everything is so disconnected. Your pelvis is not talking to your ribs at all. And so when we can get them doing that, tucking that pelvis under a bit, spilling water more towards the back of the bucket, that's kind of step one. And then filling the body with that breath, we want to think about taking that super deep breath in. And whenever I cue people, before I tell them anything and I just watch them and I say, take a deep breath in, we always see the shoulders just like rise up straight to the ears. I think so many women think that's what a deep breath is. But getting people to understand that our deep breath actually happens much deeper in our torso, like getting your belly to expand, getting your ribs to come out sideways, getting your back to expand a bit too. So really being able to fill that whole torso with a breath. And then once that breath is filled, bracing. And the way I always cue the brace is, imagine you're lying on the floor and a toddler is charging towards you. Like, what do you do to your abs to prevent their little elbows from ending up like in your spleen? So that sometimes gets people to like figure out what they actually need to do with their core to create that stability. And then just applying that to everything that you do. (laughs) Yeah. Do you find that some of the women you work with struggle with like a tissue hypermobility or a tissue joint laxity? I don't know. I have found in at least the autoimmune population, especially the women with Hashimoto's, that there's this element of like a lack of integrity in the joints. Like the joints are almost too hypermobile tissue is not creating integration in the joints. Have you found that at all? I've heard you talk about that a lot too. I, I've only noticed it in practice with like a couple of my clients, but again, I don't like work most, like I don't have tons and tons of autoimmune clients. It's really more, um, you know, just general hormone imbalances, sex hormone imbalances, things like that. So I have seen that a bit, but, but definitely not as much as you've been reporting it. Cause I've been listening, but Yeah. With your functional diagnostic testing, do you notice, like, do you have women do like before and after testing after like a certain period of time on the program? That I kind of depend on cost. Like sometimes it's just cost prohibitive for people to retest. And as long as symptoms are subsiding, I'm kind of okay being like, I know there could be something else going on here. And again, like the the test that I use, the GI map is really, really sensitive. So something that for some women if their symptoms are better, but I still feel like we might see something on the test, I almost don't want them to retest because I don't want them to be discouraged. If it's like they're feeling so much better, we have so many other pieces in place, but this GI map happened to have picked up, you know, something else. Like sometimes that can be like annoying for a client, but best practice definitely is to retest and really see what's going on there. 
I tend to find that like in my actual practice that oftentimes they're just feeling so much better after the four months that it's like cost prohibitive and then might not be you know really worth it for them to have that information right now. Do you utilize a Dutch test at all? Not yet, but I'm actually training in reading the Dutch test come September. Nice. Do you believe that strength training should look different for different phases of a woman's life, right? Like should a 20-year-old be training similarly to like uh, someone who's going through menopause? Yeah. So in theory, no. Like, you know, the, the basic framework of the program, no. Like I, you know, up until this pandemic started, I was training my mom in her home gym and she's, you know, upwards of 65. And I had her squatting and pulling things off the floor that plenty of people my age cannot, you know, load they cannot tolerate. She's had knee replacements and bursitis everywhere. But that was like, you know, you get people tolerating load and you just progress and you progress and they get stronger and they can tolerate and and that, you know, they have that capacity. And so in theory, no, I do alter programs slightly based on like stages of life, you know, just things that we might want to focus on if they're planning on trying to get pregnant soon or just had a baby. There's just certain, I think we just need to take more time with certain things. Maybe there's that disconnect with the breathing or that disconnect with the core and pelvic floor and things like that. But ultimately we're doing the same patterns. We're adding load, we're resting and we're adding load again. (laughs) (laughs) How do you test the hormones? Currently, I don't. Currently, it's based on either a diagnosis that they got from another doctor or just symptom reporting if they're talking a lot about the way that their cycle is affected, really painful periods, or not ovulating, those types of things where they kind of know that information already coming into it. And then we really just take a look at what's going on in the microbiome, what kind of food sensitivities are present here, and then symptom presentation. I'm curious in terms of, cause right, there's the strength component and then there's like a nutritional component. What do you find that you're most trying to dial in for your clients? Like what feels like most kind of off the mark? So again, it, it kind of depends on the starting place of the person. Like if someone is coming to me really deep in a standard American diet and severely overeating processed carbohydrates, like no animal protein on their plates And again, like I said, some women are literally eating one meal a day. So for them, while my true love is the strength training side of things, like they're going to see the biggest, the needle's going to move the most for them on just focusing heavily on real food, filling those plates, trying to get the metabolism, doing what we need it to do by eating those bigger meals, balancing out the blood sugar by eating those bigger meals, focusing on protein and you know fat that we are all so afraid of things like that tend to be where we need to put a lot of our attention but i i do everything simultaneously so if it's someone who is really overburdened by the idea of changing their whole diet and the strength training is like just kind of tips them over the edge in that case we're progressing much slower maybe it's two days a week to just get them kind of tiptoeing into it but for most women, I can kind of really do both at the same time and start seeing strides in both places because I feel like, especially when we're talking about the, metabol- the metabolism and our ability to balance our blood sugar, there is kind of equal li- weight in both these camps. And I think that's kind of like what I mentioned earlier that 
a lot of other functional practitioners are kind of missing the mark on that. Like they're really missing the ability to contribute to those metabolic benefits and those hormone balancing benefits by getting these people stronger, like by putting muscle on these women. So I do feel like they're equally important, but again, like for some cases, we kind of have to go a little slower on one side of things. Yeah. How do you have women fuel after they work out? This is like everyone's favorite question too. Like, especially clients who are used to like going to Barry's boot camp and then grabbing a smoothie on the way home. Yeah. I don't. As long as they're eating three meals a day, you know, they're not training for performance. If they're not competing in bodybuilding, anything like that, like as long as they're eating enough throughout the day, we generally don't really need to add in like a post workout something or other. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I know there's studies out there that show that like some sort of carbohydrate helps with muscle recovery post-workout, the like timing of it. Different studies say different things. Like some people like 20 minutes, some people say two hours, but then also, you know, not neglecting also just maybe protein intake afterwards. Yeah. Just kind of reading different studies and it's interesting to see what's out there. Yeah. So that's, it's something where like for me, I'll kind of just focus on troubleshooting it in practice. So like we know this information and we're getting some conflicting information from various studies, but for some women, you know, three square meals a day where they're really hitting what they need to be hitting as far as protein consumption, fat consumption, carbohydrates. And then if a client reaches out to me that they're feeling really fatigued or they're not sleeping well or you know, they're having a really hard time getting up in the morning and the other pieces are kind of in place. Then we'll start to play around with some stuff like that, where maybe we do need to start adding in some carbohydrates after or focusing on that meal being a little closer to the workout and things like that. Yeah. What are like the two or three most important things that women ideally would be doing, whether it was like strength or nutrition or stress, whatever it is? If you're going to like nail it down, like these are the three things you guys need to do. Okay. Step one is sleep seven to nine hours a night. I think that is like the lowest hanging fruit for so many women. And I know that can get challenging with a hormone imbalance. It's one of these like chicken or the egg kind of things where sometimes what our blood sugar is doing makes us wake up in the middle of the night, but we need to be sleeping through the night to manage our blood sugar. So we definitely want to try to put in practices that help us get to a better place there with quality, restful seven to nine hours a night. I think that is like step one and hydration too, because I think so many people are just dehydrated and like, that's one of the things that's just keeping them exhausted. But outside of sleep and hydration, I would say get strong. So start thinking about just moving throughout the day. You know, if I think we fall into these traps where we're not used to using these patterns. And if we can start thinking about squatting down during the day to pick up that thing that we dropped instead of just like some funky way we bend over and try to grab things, you know, start living in these patterns, start getting a little bit stronger every week and just eat real food. That's like the easiest way to put it because there's a place where we can get to where some packaged options are going to be fine for us. But if you are like in the depths struggling with your hormones, your energy levels, fatigue, these types of things, just try eating real food, quality proteins, quality fats, 
and starchy carbs. And I think that like really makes a huge difference for a lot of people. Are there any certain people that you look towards for inspiration? You know, I think one of the things, especially being in this field is like always, we're always learning Mm -hmm. and educating ourselves and kind of being like a guinea pig and playing with things on ourselves for our clients. Is there any certain people that you look towards that you're really into the message that they're sharing or the research that they're putting out there? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, there have been like a million people along this journey. I think specifically recently I've been really interested in like your work and Dr. Tina Moore and Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. I think just everyone who is saying out loud to women, we need muscle on our body as like the last piece of this puzzle. And this is extremely important. This is kind of like me being a little salty, but if I am going to a practitioner for something and there is no muscle on their body, like my eyebrow goes up and I'm like, what information is this person missing that they are not realizing the importance of this organ, this endocrine organ that we're ignoring? So I think that's been, you know, your work and and thank you so much for getting this message out. But you guys are are doing it. You're doing the thing. Is there anything or any certain message of women listening to this that you would want them to take away? Like if there's just one thing that they remembered. I think you're stronger than you think you are is really important. I think like so many women are just scared to get strong, whether that's coming from a place of somebody told them they weren't supposed to take up space or they think they're gonna, you know, quote unquote, get bulky if they like try to get stronger. But strength is important. You are stronger than you think you are. And it's okay to get stronger than that. (laughs) So that is something that like I take with me every day. And I think a lot of women need to hear that. Yeah, 100%, especially when you have kids and they're <laughs> like, catch me as they're like yeah. jumping from something. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I think this is such an important message for women who have either been like burning the candle at both ends, right? Or doing like the six days a week of maybe hit training and for the woman that needs to be inspired to get some momentum and motivation to start moving their body. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.